0: Good morning church. Great to see you all. So good to, good to have you. Welcome. If you joined us online, thrilled you've joined us this morning. Good to have you. So good to see all of you today. Again, just five more places for K through third grade. Men or women are qualified for that. We need five more volunteers for that. And of course, a couple more for the the girls at 180, our teenage girls at 180. So uh, two, two more women for that job. Thank you very much for volunteering and responding so well. Uh, we're going to get there, and maybe God will speak to you about that important role. I want to uh, spend the next couple of weeks talking about the uh, the struggle that it is to be a Christian in today's culture. And with special reference to the full armor of God, which is a classic past, uh, passage in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 6 of Ephesians. I want to read verses 10 to 20. I'm going to spend the next two weeks talking about this, and then in three weeks, it's Father's Day, so we'll talk about champion dads and parenting on that day. So looking forward to the next few weeks with you. And again, uh, let's uh, consider these important words from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 to 20. Our custom is to stand as you're able to hear the loving authority of God's word. And so Paul writes finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May God inspire and encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I uh, do not watch TV in live time anymore, just almost with rare exception. I I record everything before I watch it, including sporting events. Uh, One of the reasons for that is because, obviously, you can watch things much more quickly. You don't have to endure the commercials, which are plentiful, I've also discovered at my age that some of the programs I like to watch now target my demographic in the, in the, in the commercial section. So I, I'm a little weary of um, um, backdoor mortgages and home-use catheters and, you know, the life alert, I've fallen and I can't get up, you know, those, those kind of commercials. Um, it's, it's just a little unnerving. So I, I don't like. So I fast forward. I also, as I mentioned, do sporting events, and I watch my favorite teams, and I tape it ahead of time. And sometimes I find out the score before the before I watch it. And depending on my level of stress, you know, do I want a lot of stress watching this or a little stress? I've discovered that um, it's interesting if you know the score before you start watching the game. You know the outcome. It changed how I react during the game because I have pre-knowledge about how it's going to end. Makes sense, doesn't it? If my team would go down by 8 or 10 points, that's no problem. (laughs) You know, ho-hum, we're down by 10, no problem, because I know we're coming back. Knowledge is valuable when you have it in advance. Are you following? It didn't change the intensity of the competition, but it changed how I related to it. Now, stay with me. We know about the end of days in this world and how it's all going to end. We actually know this. We know that Christ is going to return, that there's going to be a millennial reign, that new heavens and a new earth are going to be established. What I want to do today is I want to expand your worldview. I want you to, I want you to open your mind and ex- and allow me, if I can, to teach us a little bit about the way you see yourself in the world i want to I want to stretch the paradigms that that you that you may have that need need to be expanded a bit so that you can get a better grip on what is what is happening in our world. We are told at the end of this epistle of the book of Ephesians to be strong and to stand firm mean you know, all of the all of these these uh special encouragements and identification points and definitions and encouragements that come from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus in this letter talk about the church and our role in the world and how we can better serve that role. And so at the end of this epistle, this letter, Paul says, therefore be strong, stand firm. Translation, don't move, don't flinch, Don't run, don't give up, stand firm. And having done everything to stand, stand therefore. So this is the culmination of what Paul is trying to teach us. So don't let your circumstances, the season in your life, the challenges in your life, the quarrels in your life, the opposition points in your life to shake you up and cause you to turn away from your faith. Stand firm. Now, if you look on the screen, this is verse 12 from our passage. Paul writes, for our struggle, now stop right there. Does anyone have any disagreement with the first phrase? How many of you agree life is a struggle? Come on now, life is hard, and it's a struggle out there. And as a Christian person in today's culture, it's a struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now we we'll stop right there for a minute. What Paul is teaching us is that there is a there's a, another level of conflict that all of us are engaging that we may not be sensitive to, aware of. And that is, a, that is another dimension of struggle. He's, he's suggesting to us, and we can interpret what flesh and blood, your struggle's not against flesh and blood. We know what that means. It means our struggle's not against people because we know what flesh and blood is, that's you and me in these earth suits. And so Paul is saying our struggle, our our opposition, our, our difficulty is not about conflict with other people. Gosh, we thought it was. But as it turns out, not essentially. It's not about that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, n- note the terms now, rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Rehearse that now. Rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil. So Paul now is introducing us to the idea that there are forces at work in our world that are different than the natural order. We live in these earth suits, and so our primary focus, our experience in life is through our five senses living in these bodies, and we perceive the world through these five senses. But Paul's suggesting that there is another reality that is spiritual in nation, nature, and, and that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a world that we are not naturally in touch with. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't touch it while we're in our earth suit, but it's very real. And so he says, our struggle is not about natural things in the world, but against these spiritual forces of evil that he summarizes exist in the heavenly realms, Or we could say the spiritual realm, the spiritual world. Again, I'm trying to expand your worldview. Try try to let your mind go out there. Let me remind you what goes on in the heavenly realm. For example, Jesus is seated there in the heavenly realms, in heavenly places, in a spiritual place. We are seated with him. Angels function there. And demons are also active there. Now, much of what goes on then in the name of ministry and in our individual lives, therefore, has to do with forces that are at work in heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, God has provided us with tools or weapons that we can use to operate with some level of success and authority in the context of a spiritual realm that is buffeting and influencing us in positive and negative ways all the time. For example, verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul was writing the letter to the the Ephesians from a prison. He could very well have been right next to a man, a guard, a Roman guard who was wearing this full outfit. And so he's just, it's, it's a, an analogy he can make. It's a metaphor he can use now. He said, and so he just, he's observing these different elements of the armor that a soldier would put on in Roman times. And so he's making the, he's making the reference. And so we can understand why he, he's thinking in these terms. Put on the full armor of God. So it's, it's made available to us. It's a tool to, for us. It's an asset that we can use, but he says, put it on. So in other words, it's available to us, but you have to activate it. You have to put it on, as it were. So it's introduced in two categories of three. There are six different items, these tools that we can wear, the full armor of God. They are introduced to us in two different, two different sets of three. The first three of these tools, represented by the armor, is a Greek word, a verb translated in English, which is translated to be. So in other words, this is, this is a state that implies that you should always be in. The, to, to be means that you put these things on and you never take them off. This is just what you carry with you all the time. The second set of three has the Greek word translated to take. So in other words, the last three are what you use on an as-needed basis. When you play baseball, for example, when you're on offense, you use a bat. When you're on defense, you use a glove. And so there are different tools for different occasions. Look on the screen at verse 13. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground And after you have done everything to stand. So Paul's concern, his focus here, his reminder to us here is the evil day. When the the day of evil comes, this is the day that all hell breaks loose on you to destroy your marriage or to rob your finances or to ruin your ministry or to destroy your dreams. This is more than the average state of being. This is the evil day. So when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand. Paul's probably, as I mentioned, referencing a Roman soldier as he writes this. Ephesians 1, the first chapter of Ephesians, again, encouraging the church, thinking of of the context of the ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ, reminds us that Jesus has been given all authority over all things. Are you okay with that? Jesus has all authority over all things. He is Lord over the heavenly realm, He is Lord over history here on earth. Now here's the problem. nobody on earth knows about this authority Jesus has except the church. We're the only ones aware of this. And so it's incumbent upon us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse, verse 6 says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, It it suggests to us that the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed to these powers and, and spiritual forces in the world through the church. So the manifold wisdom of God in the economy of God is made real, is revealed to spiritual forces around us through the church, by the church, that's you and me. So we model even for the spiritual world, what it looks like to be submitted to the authority of Christ and to stand in that authority. This past week on Thursday, I used uh, some communication technology that most of us are familiar with now called Zoom. Zoom allows a person to be in two places at one time. So I was sitting in Muncie On Thursday, having a Zoom with some of our friends in Central Asia, two places at one time. It's amazing. It's a miracle. But we all take it for granted now. Satellite technology, communication technology allows us to have like a a literal conversation in real time in two different places. Here's the truth about you and me as members of the body of Christ in the world today, (laughs) We can be two places at once. For example, right now, I am right here, physically present in this room, standing behind this desk and, and teaching you about the full armor of God, and I am also at the same time seated with Christ in heavenly places. I can be two places at once. The seat of absolute authority. Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth and all that exists, and I am, according to Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 6, we are seated with him in heavenly places. So I'm here right now, and I'm also there. And so the authority, the authority that has been given to me from there, I can exercise here. Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, We've had some conversation about truth in the last several weeks in some of the messages, trying to understand truth. Uh, We are experiencing in our culture right now and in our world more and more suspicion about the whole idea of truth, especially with regard to absolute truth. There are fewer and fewer people in our culture who believe that absolute truth exists. I'm here to tell you there is such thing as truth. There is such thing as absolute truth. Here's a definition of it. An absolute standard by which reality is measured. An absolute standard by which reality is measured. Truth is reality in its original form. It's the truth. It was true yesterday. It's true today. It'll be true tomorrow. Absolutely true. Truth is God's view on any subject. Whatever God says is true, that would be true every time. There are two answers to every question, God's answer and everybody else. And everybody else is wrong all the time. You don't hear this sort of thing very often. The reason this is so important in spiritual warfare is because our enemy is a liar. The only thing the devil has ever created on his own is a lie. He's the father of lies. This is what he does. This is his move. This is his M.O. He's a liar. And so he deceives with his lies. And so now he, ca- he causes an entire generation to stop believing things that are absolutely true. And in so doing, destroying people's lives. And that's why the Bible teaches so clearly that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Once you recognize truth, embrace the truth that is absolutely true as God has given it to us, it's liberating. It's it's not hindering, it's not restrictive, it's exhilarating, it's fulfilling, it sets you free. And so we gird our loins with truth. Again, these first three tools are things that we should put on and keep on all the time. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. Once you know the truth, you know the standard, you can now discern what's right and what's wrong. By the way, in case you didn't know this, demons are attracted to wrong behavior. And demons are also expelled by right behavior. You do something wrong, you make a poor choice, and and spiritual forces and heavenly places will accompany that. You make right decisions in a righteous way, redeeming way, honorable way, and it expels dark forces away from your life. So you put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is something we put on and we keep on. This is on all the time. We never take it off, the breastplate of righteousness. The third thing we learn is that we shot our feet with the gospel of peace. Now, peace, as you know, gives us perspective and decisions and choices. All of these things are ultimately determined by Peace. You've heard me talk about this. Peace becomes the final arbiter in any kind of big choice, major decision in your life. So we let the peace of Christ dwell richly in us. Two painters were asked to paint a picture depicting peace. One painter uh, painted a serene setting with sheep grazing by a placid lake, you know, the sun peacefully setting in the background. And the second painter Made a canvas of a raging storm, angry clouds, bolts of lightning, big, huge waves, white cap crashing on the shore. Down in the corner of the painting was a small little bird sitting on a rock singing a song, and one little shaft of light coming through the storm clouds, just one little beam coming down and resting on the little bird as he's singing a song in the middle of this massive storm. Now, here's my question. Which of the two paintings depict best biblical peace? It's the latter, isn't it? It's not because nothing is wrong. It's because everything is wrong, and yet we're still singing. That's biblical peace, and that's the peace that passes understanding, and that's the peace God offers us. And so the truth, breastplate of righteousness, we shout our feet with peace. These things we keep on all the time, truth, righteousness, and peace. Again, to be is the first three and the state that we should remain in. To take as needed basis, now we find first the shield of faith. Faith is not as complicated as we've made it out to be. Let me say it again. Faith is not as complex as we've made it out. Faith is pretty straightforward. Biblical faith is simply acting like God is telling the truth. Biblical faith is simply acting on the notion that what God says is true, what God promises he will do. It's simply acting on that. Biblical faith is acting like it is so, even when it isn't so, in order that it might be so, because God said so. Faith is ultimately an action taken, not a feeling felt. Faith is connected to your feet. That's why it's called walking by faith. Faith is an action, not just a feeling. And why do we exercise our faith? To quench the fiery darts, the the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me illustrate. Our restrooms have motion detector light activation. No movement, no power, no lights. Movement, and power is activated, the lights come on. No movement, no power, no lights. No movement, no power, no lights. No action, no animation, no power, no lights. If there's no movement, there will be no power, no light. We've made faith too hard. We've made it too complicated. It's not hard. It's not complex. It's really straightforward. Faith is an action taken, not a feeling felt. No movement, no power, no light. Have I mentioned that? Are you getting it? Activate your faith, and God will release his power. Activate your faith, and the lights will come on. Something will happen. This is when miracles happen. This is why most churches and most Christians Never see a miracle because they do not take big enough steps, action steps, big enough risks, is the word I like to use best, big enough risks to need a miracle. Let me challenge you with something. Here's your your homework. If you've never done this before in your life, take a step of faith that puts you in a very precarious position now I, let me let me qualify this this is easier for me to talk about because, because uh, two things for sure one is my sense of calling you know everybody has a call on your life everybody god calls us all of us into certain into certain uh, uh, opportunities and patterns and practices and i have a i have a sense of call as a leader so that's my calling. So that's, that's kind of an advantage talking about faith, you know, living by faith. The other advantage I have is that God has given me as a gift, the gift of faith. I have a lot of faith. And it's not because I'm a faithful person. It's because God has supernaturally given me faith. It's a gift of faith. Some of you, for example, have a gift of intercession and you, you pray a lot better than me. My wife, for example, has, a, has the gift of hospitality. That's one of the spiritual gifts, hospitality. She has, she has hospitality in, in, in boatloads. I have a thimble full of hospitality. I have none. It's just not there. Can we invite some? No. <laughs> Do you want to? No. No. So I, I understand we all have different levels of this. I have I have big faith. And the reason I know that is because I see me exercise it all the time. I could spend the rest of the time this morning just talking about the last 10 days of my life and these confrontations of faith. Are you going to step out in faith? Are you going to believe God? You're going to trust God can God meet that need? Will you trust God to supply that person or that resource or that opportunity? It just it comes to me all the time. God God throws them my way because he knows I'll exercise my faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Back to my challenge, my homework for you. Put yourself in a position where you know that if God doesn't come through, you're in big trouble. Just do that once in your life for me. If you're within the sound of my voice and you have a leadership ministry in another church, like you're a pastor of another church or something, what I said a while ago, that was not being critical. I'm just... Making an observation, most churches, the vast majority of churches, and the vast majority of Christians never see a New Testament sized miracle in their life because they never take the risk, they never take the action, they never take the step to pos- position themselves to actually need a miracle. No action, no power, no light. So we lift up the shield of faith. And we also put on the helmet of salvation. Some people, someone said, uh, most Christians are Christian streakers. Why is that? Because all they're wearing is the helmet of salvation. Now you can't unsee that, can you? It's, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. How many of you are old enough to remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Good number of you. Well, let me tell you about a man named Jed. <laughs> Join along if you know it. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. Then one day, he was shooting for some food, and up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The folks said, Jed, move away from there said California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck, and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbillies. There it is, right there. I have no idea why I can't quote for you Psalms 1, but I can can do the Beverly Hillbillies theme song from memory. It's odd. (laughs) Actually, you know, we get the impression that Jed Clampett became an instant mega millionaire. But that's not really true, is it? He had been a millionaire all along. Isn't that right? He just didn't know it. You put on the helmet of salvation and you begin to start thinking the thoughts of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. And they're thinking... And Jed Clampett's family had become limited by what they could see. And so they believed themselves to be poor because that's all they could see. You bring your thinking in line with God and realize, realize that our thinking isn't always the most accurate because we have this sin problem that leads to all kinds of obfuscation and confusion and disorientation All of us are stumbling around in some category of our lives all the time because we're confused about something. But if we could literally begin to think the thoughts of Jesus, have the mind of Christ, put on the helmet of salvation and get our thinking straight, God knows what we might be able to accomplish together if we were thinking like he thinks. So we put on the helmet of salvation. And the last thing we do is we take up the sword of the Spirit. This is one weapon And the only weapon, because it's the only weapon the Spirit uses, there are two words translated from the Greek language that we interpret word, word of God. Those two words are Greek words. One is logos, which means word. It's simply the stated word. It's the understood word. It's the written word. And the second word is rhema. The Greek word rhema implies the word that is used. It is the one that is effectual. It is the word that is fresh. It is dynamic in the moment. So it is a a fresh word, a relevant word, a timely word from God for that particular circumstance in that moment. It's It's a rhema word from God. And we can not only know the stated word, the written word, but we can also occasionally get a a word from God that we make applicable to the circumstances that we're in. And this all happens if we're aware of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the only offensive weapon. You take that up from time to time, you've got to go on offense. And you take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here's the last thing I want to say. If you look on the screen at verses 18 to 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit. Paul now is summarizing this armament, these tools that he's given us. He's summarizing by saying the best way to effectuate this kind of asset in your Christian journey is by prayer. So he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And requests. So, in other words, you're just saying, "Look, you don't have to. You, you don't have to get all worked up about this, or get some kind of uh, uh, written focus of, with your prayers. Just pray all the time. Talk to God all the time. All kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. It doesn't matter how big a deal it is, or how small a deal it is. Just talk to God. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with your understanding. Just make your request known to God. With this in mind, be alert." Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then he solicits prayers for himself. Pray for me whenever I speak. Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of Christ, which I am an ambassador in chains. So what prayer is, is permission for heavenly intervention. It's God's invitation to us to say, look, I know there's a struggle down there. I know the devil's on your case. I know that this is hard. I know that there are forces allayed against you. And the more serious you are with Jesus, the more forceful will be the opposition against your life. The, 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 more, the, the more determined you are to get close to Jesus and to understand his will and ways and to, and to follow his, his destiny for your life, the more you're determined to say yes to Jesus, the more you are inviting opposition and trouble. And God says, look, I know know that's happening. So here's what you do. You arm yourself. You, You gird your loins with truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know right from wrong, do what's right. You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Go through the world. There may be a storm raging. You may be living in the evil day right now, but no matter what is happening to you right now, I know this, God is bigger than your problem. And you can be at peace. He is in control. You can trust him. He is a good God. He's got you. He's got this. He's going to see you through. You, so you keep, you keep the, the peace on all the time, truth, righteousness, and peace. And then occasionally there's a severe attack, and so you need to lift the shield of faith. And just say, no, I don't believe that. I'm not hearing that. That's not the way it's going to turn out. That's not the way it's going to go. This isn't going to be the end of my life. I'm casting down all of those imaginations, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I, I, I got my chin strapped tight. My helmet of salvation is staying on, and I'm lifting the shield of faith. And when push comes to shove, I will take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Almighty God, which is true yesterday, true today, and will be true tomorrow, and is effectual when you're resisting the devil and living your life in a victorious way. So all of these things are summoned and sustained by prayer praying in the spirit and talking to God and praying for his courage. It's, it's pulling down your divine authority. It's receiving your divine rights and privileges. I'm seated at the right. You know, the next time the devil says, you're not, you're not even a Christian. Who do you think you are? You're not even a Christian. I don't know. Some kind of leader who, you, you know, it's ridiculous. And there's always accusation and condemnation coming from the devil, trying to knock you off course and knock you out of your place. And the next time that happens to you, you just say, uh, I don't know who you're talking to, but I happen to be a person who is seated at the, uh, in heavenly places at the right hand of Jesus himself. I'm, I have authority. The, the, the Lord of my life has all authority in heaven and earth. And one day every knee will bow, including yours, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I am in his presence. I am seated in heavenly places with him. You, of all people, trying to tell me I'm not a Christian, I'm not a leader, I can't make it, I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not smart enough, I can't manage this. What are you, crazy? You, you do. The de- look, the devil has 500 pounds of brain damage. And we have absolute authority and victory over him. But we have to put on the armor. We have to wear it well and take it up when necessary. And God will see us through. Prayer is that permission for heaven's power and light. Amen? Summer sermon. Really good, really short. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have supplied us with these marvelous tools. Thank you so much for the full armor of God. So we pray today that we might gird our loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We take up the shield of faith where we quench all the fiery darts, flaming arrows. We put on the helmet of salvation, guarding our thoughts and our minds. And we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Lord, as we pray today, we ask that you would give us the grace to stay alert, to be circumspect, to be strong, to stand firm. Lord, we we decide today we're going to follow you. We're not going to back up. We're not going to run. We're not going to equivocate. We're not going to compromise. We're going to take our stand. We're going to be strong. Having done everything to stand, we're going to stand. And so, Lord, by your grace, help us to hold this place for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?